Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You are listening to the Qalam podcast Hurdle series, a study of Imam Ghazali's Minhajul Abidin by Sheikh Mikail Ahmed Smith. Jazakallah khair for your continued support, and we pray that this is beneficial. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa salatu wa salam ala sayyidina wa nabiyyina wa maulana muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma inna nas'aluka hubbak wa hubba man yuhibbuk wa hubba amalin yuqarribuna ila hubbik ya arhamar rahimin. We make our intention in these gatherings to benefit by the collection of other believers. Um, I was reading something by Ibn Atallah al-Askandari. He says that Al-Mujanasa bil-Mujalasa. He says that Mujanasa, which is to become like other people. Uh, when something Mujanasa, it's something else, it's like it. it. It imitates it. It's similar to it. So he says Al-Mujanasa bil-Mujalasa. That the way that you can take on the qualities of someone else is that you sit in their presence. Um, and so it's important for us to uh, be in these gatherings. If the brothers in the back can come up a bit, and these brothers move up a little bit too, inshallah ta'ala. Um, um, it, it's important for us to attend these type of gatherings because it's in these gatherings that uh, we, we, we recalibrate our hearts. We recalibrate our hearts to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from us. Um, and even there's one hadith, I'm going to begin the dars inshallah ta'ala, uh, but there's one hadith which is beautiful that the Prophet sallallahu he said that there are angels and these realities that we talk about when we say angels, it's important for us as, the, as believers to, to, to have a mental image of that. Imagine that. Make it real for yourself. So the Rasul sallallahu he said that there are certain angels, that their only task, the only thing that these angels do is that they go around the world looking for gatherings of remembrance of God. Rem- gatherings of remembrance of God. And remember what that means, that the highest form of of, of remembering God is the gatherings by which you're learning more of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from you. Not just the gatherings where we're engaged in dhikr or just saying subhanAllah the whole time or even just reading Quran. That for sure is virtuous. But there was one time where the Prophet walked in the masjid. He walked in sallallahu and he saw two gatherings. There was one gathering that was engaged in reading Quran and remembering God and the other gathering they were learning and teaching. And the prophet, he looked at both groups and he said, both groups are good as if to like squash any beef that would happen later. But then he went and said, he sat with the people that were learning and he said, Inni I have been sent as a teacher. And he sat with the people that were learning. So the prophet him, he said, there's these angels that get, they, they travel the earth looking for gatherings of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when they find those gatherings, they call the other angels like, yo, it's, it's like it's lit here, right? It's a lot going on here. There's a lot of what you're seeking is here. And then the prophet, these, these angels go back and forth to the heavens informing Allah about what's going on down here. And Allah already knows, but this is the system that he has made. And so what the narration says that Allah asked the angels, um, uh, what are they asking for? What do they want? And the angels, they say, oh, they want Jannah. And then Allah says to the angels, have they seen it though? Have they seen it? And the angels go, no, they haven't seen heaven. 
He says, what do you think they would be doing if they saw it? Like, like imagine how much we would be going after Jannah if we saw it, if we witnessed that. And that was the reality that we spoke about last week. Last week, we talked about how the Sahaba made that their reality, whereby when they sat in these gatherings, they blocked everything out and they completely allowed their hearts to soar through the heavens, quite literally. And so then the, the prophet, the, the, Allah asked the angels, what are they seeking refuge from? What are they trying to protect themselves from? And the angels said, they don't want to go to hellfire. They're worried about your punishment. And then Allah asked the angels, did they see it though? And the angels go, no, they didn't see it. He goes, how would they be, how would they be acting if they had seen it though? And, 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 Allah, and the angels go, they would be more afraid of it. They would be seeking refuge even more. And so Allah says, and I want you to just, just absorb this. Allah says, be a, a witness that I have forgiven everyone in the gathering. I have forgiven everyone in the gathering. Everyone in this gathering is forgiven because of what you were seeking when you walked through that door. What you were seeking and, 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 and what you wanted from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the angels are, are interesting. The malaika, they say, ya, ya Allah, but there's one guy in the back. You know, you just pulled your, you, you know, you just pulled him through. Like, bro, just come through. Just come on. Just come on. He's like, no, I don't even feel like coming. He's like, just come. So they say there's one guy in the back. He doesn't really want to be there. He doesn't really want to be there. I ain't looking at nobody. Chill out. Right? <laughs> so, so you're like, why'd you stop at me for so long? Like, nah, nah. So there's this one guy. He doesn't want to be there. And, the, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that no, no, no. Even he's forgiven because he's in. And the, the words of the hadith, whom This is such noble company that anyone sitting in this company gains the benefit from what everyone is giving and what everyone is receiving. So, you know, before we start, just benefit from these gatherings. Um, you know, um, I think it was Haytham. Someone messaged me earlier today. They're like, they messaged me. They were like, how's your heart? And I was like, I just need Wednesday night again. And I was like, I, I just need this gathering of remembrance of Allah and, and, and connecting back to, to this, this soul food, right? What feeds our hearts. So, Bismillah rahman rahim Imam Ghazali, we're studying a book called Minhajul Abidin. And Imam Ghazali is teaching us how to stay on this path of worship. Imam Ghazali tells us that this path of worship, that Allah has only created us for one reason, to worship Allah. And we know what that means. Worship is just not being on your prayer regal day, but rather a way of life. But Imam Ghazali says, if you're going to be on this path of worship, it's not easy. It's not easy. By, by design, it's not supposed to be easy. And sometimes we get this false understanding as if like, man, why couldn't Fajr just be like right after sunrise? Right? No, it's supposed to be a bit of difficulty because through difficulty, you show where your true love is. It's through that struggle that you show Allah, no, no, I truly love you, Ya Allah. I love you more than sleep. I love you more than whatever this world could offer me. I love you more than that. That's why it's a struggle. It's supposed to be inherently difficult to separate the true from the false, to separate those who are sadiq and those who are kadhib in their claim, those who are true in their claim and those who aren't. So Imam Ghazali says that this path is difficult. But he goes, don't worry, everything the prophet taught us is there to keep us on that path. It's there to show us step by step how to just keep on going forward. And, 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 and subhanAllah, 
a friend of mine called me this week. He's in the gathering. And um, it was a tough week. It was a tough week. And when I met him today, I was like, how's the week? He's like, I'm still a moment. I'm still striving. I was like, success, success, bro. He didn't say, oh, it was an amazing weekend. I did like 15 khatams of the Quran. Oh, I, I, I fasted Mondays and Thursdays. He's like, no, I got through the week. I'm still a believer, alhamdulillah. And I said, success, bro. Like, you made it. That's the point. So Imam Ghazali says that this path, there's all types of hurdles and valleys that are on the way. And we've been studying this book because he's telling us how to get around these different hurdles. And now he got, last week we started this, we got to the hurdle that is about moving forward. A lot of the hurdles that we studied, they were things that come in your way. They slow you down on this path. But the hurdle that we started last week is about how you keep going, how you keep moving on this path, how you stay motivated, how you stay motivated. I think a lot of us nowadays, we struggle with this motivation to just get up in the morning and keep grinding. So this hurdle that he's calling, he says, it's uqbatul bawa'ith. He says, it's the hurdle of incentives. What will keep you going? And if you remember from last week, he said, there's two things that will keep you going. There's two things that will keep you grinding. Number one, it's a fear. There's a fear of missing something. There's a fear of not gaining something. There's a fear of God's punishment, maybe. There's a fear of humiliation on the day of judgment. There's, there's some fear there that keeps you moving. It's like as a father of three children. Like, why do I go to work in the morning? What keeps me motivated? Like, low-key, there's a fear inside of me that one day it's like, they're like, Baba, Dad, what are we eating? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't feel motivated. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, my motivation is a fear of letting them down. So we keep going. And I'm going to come back to that later because when we talk about fear of Allah, we want to see what type of fear that is. So there's a fear that, that motivates us. And I need everyone in this room to tap in to your fear. You need to tap into your fear and make sure that there isn't a worldly fear that's trumping your hereafter fear. That's it. There isn't a worldly fear that's stronger than your fear of Allah or fear of something related to the akhirah. I'll give an example. Like I'm one of the people that I'm really afraid Vulnerable moments, like 300 people in here. But. <laughs> like some of us are motivated. One of the things that motivates me is like that moment on the day of judgment when you're in front of everyone. And you're in front of everyone and all eyes are on you. And everyone is watching your life play by play. Watching everything that you did. Seeing the things that I thought I forgot about. But it's right there. For me, that right there is painful. There's times I'm just in the car coming down the highway, and I'm, I reflect on the fact that people will collectively be looking at this moment. I'm like, subhanAllah, 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 subhanAllah. Alhamdulillah, 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 alhamdulillah. Right? You're about to turn something on that has some haram lyrics or something. Everyone's watching that moment. Everyone's watching that moment, that moment right there, preserved in front of everyone. The reason I'm sharing that is for me, like, it doesn't hit me as much, the punishment of the grave, 
the day of judgment. But that moment right there tears me up. How will I stand in front of everyone with how? So what we have to do is take ownership of our spirituality and tap into our fears. Some of us are living our lives based on fear of coworkers straight up. Fear of classmates. Fear of cousins. I don't know. And as uh, one economic specialist economist said, a fear of people we don't know. I won't say the whole quote, but fear of people we don't even know that we'll never see again. But we're letting our fear of what they think about us dictate who we are. So the first thing he said is you have to tap into your fears. And we talked about that last week. But then he also said there's one more thing. See, this religion, this, this religion of Islam is not based solely on fear. And I think a lot of us who are relearning Islam again, and what I mean by relearning it is for some reason when you were 14, 15, 16, you got disconnected. But now you're back. You're like, wait, there's this revival we see across the country, everywhere. People need this connection. La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. But one thing we have to understand is that there's a balance between fear and hope. A balance between fear and hope. And that is what Imam Ghazali is telling us. He's teaching us that these are the two things. One of my teachers, he used to say, um, what's the verse? Um, uh, he used to say like, subhanAllah, the insan, and I read this today by... Um, it's in Hayatul Salaf. There's a narration that says that the believer is like a bird. The believer is like a bird. And each of the wings, one wing is hope and the other wing is fear. Fear and hope. And if you only have one, you won't get off the ground. You need both. You need both. And so Imam Ghazali, he's talking about that. And last week, we talked a bit about it, so I won't regress. But Imam Ghazali, he didn't just mention, oh, you have to have hope and fear. Next, let's move on. He goes, no, I need to teach you how to develop that. I need to teach you how to develop those qualities. So listen to what he says. Imam Ghazali says, Bismillah. He says, um, know that fear and hope according to our scholars, it's a type of inner state that you can have. He goes, but Allah doesn't take you account for what's out of your control. He says, you're only responsible for doing the things that will lead you and create that emotion, but emotions are not in your control. You know, a lot of times people like Ramadan comes, and it's like 26, 27, you know, imam's making dua, you know, imam's crying, everybody's crying, sniffling, you know what I mean? Ugly crying, everything. And you sitting there like, dang, man, dry, <laughs> dry, bro, just dry. You're like, like, what can I do? And you start to feel bad, like, man, you know, uh, it was a funny thing. So I don't know where my, my kids are, right? But Qasim, Qasim, right? We, I was cutting onions, right? So I was cutting onions, okay? I have this newfound passion for food. Haytham, I don't know how I rediscovered food, but it's the most lit dish ever, bro. <laughs> Anyways, so I'm cutting onions, right? 
And I tell Klaasim, I'm like, Klaasim, back up. It'll make you cry. He's like, it can't. You know how kid boys are. It won't make me cry, right? <laughs> and he puts his face over it, and he starts crying, right, obviously. <laughs> so once he realized that it works, he says to Karima, he go, I don't know if they're in here. Are they in here? Someone know if they're in here? Okay. He says to Karima, he goes, hey, Karima. Then, this sounds bad. He goes, the next time a family member passes away who we don't know, let's just take these. <laughs> I was like, bro, bro, we'll just take these and then we could just, it's pretty deep though, you know, because he's like, man, we feel bad for not crying. So, so sometimes we feel bad because we're not crying when we think we're supposed to. But Imam Ghazali set the record straight. He goes, look, you're not responsible for that. Allah doesn't hold you accountable for not uh, for, for an inner emotion that you can't control. What you are responsible for are the things that could be conducive to making that emotion. That's what Imam Ghazali say. He's like, don't worry about the effect. Worry about the things that will lead to that. And so he says, I want to teach you, I think he mentions four. He says, I want to teach you four things that will lead to the emotion of khawf or fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah, he, be he begins with fear. And uh, I, I want to stop for a moment because I really want to talk about this in more detail. All of the verses around marriage, it's like I think some of us misunderstand fear. Misunderstand fear. And I'm going to get to it later. I was going to wait for it, but I, I think it's important for us to understand it right now. Imam Ghazali says his words, you need to fear Allah the way you fear a merciful mother, her anger. Now, I know a lot of us have different relationships with our parents, but just think for a moment, like when your mother, Miskina, like she's getting older, but when she's upset with you, like I, I, I remember before I was Muslim, one of the days that woke me up that I had to change my life is I ended up in a really bad situation. And of course, the only one that's going to be by your side all the time, your mom's. That's my boy. Right? She'll be there for you. And I kid you not, the thing that, that motivated me to change was my fear of my mother. But it wasn't a fear like she was going to beat me up. I was a grown man. It wasn't a fear. It was a fear of letting her down. And, 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 and this is where we need to be with Allah, y'all. Like, look at what Allah has blessed you with. Just take yourself to account for a moment. Look deeply at everything you have. Just think for a moment. Don't look around. Look inside. And, then, and, and, and now at this moment, you, you look at everything he's given you. Your mental health, your physical health, your economic status, your education, the job, the school, the family. Like everything. Now, now think of all those things. Now for a moment, think about that moment you were just disobeying him today. Think about that moment. Just really focus on that moment. And think about the mother who stayed up nights and nights and nights and nights and nights. And then you get to 18, 17, 14, 15, and you talk back. You know, one of the scholars, I read a statement of one of the scholars and he said, this was, it blew my mind. He said that it would not please me 
that on the day of judgment, I'm told that my parents will judge me instead of Allah because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's compassion is, is many times more than my, the passion of our mothers for us. Meaning, meaning the connection there is like Allah is the most compassionate, the one who blessed us with the most. But think about how we disobey. So that's what fear of Allah means. That's what fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means. So he, he wants to teach us how to have this quality. I was saying that the quality of taqwa is mentioned in marriage. When, 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 when someone's getting married, there are three verses. Each one mentions taqwa. Do you know why? Because consciousness of God, which has fear in it, is the only thing that will check a person. It's the only thing that will keep a, a person in line all the time. That's why the Prophet ﷺ, he said, when you look for somebody, look for taqwa. Because when the money is gone, when the looks are gone, when the status is gone, the only thing that will keep people in check is their right to this understanding and fear of God. Yes, there are people, some of us, we're motivated by hope. I get it. But again, it's a fear of letting Allah down. So what does he say? He says, listen, everyone, you're not responsible. You're not responsible for the, the feeling itself. You're responsible for doing what it takes to create that feeling inside. He says, um, what is khawf? What is fear? Islamic scholars, they love to kind of define terms so we understand what we're talking about. He says that fear is this kind of shaking in your heart, this quivering that happens in your heart when you think about something you dislike, right? You think of something you dislike. You think of losing, you think of losing a loved one. There's this like shake you get, you're like, astaghfirullah. Like that, that's fear. That's fear. And Allah calls it, When they remember Allah, their hearts shake. There's a shake. And we've all experienced it. You're just driving in your car. You think, man, what if I lost my job? You're like, oh my God. Like there's a quick like anxiety attack. Like 10 seconds worth. It's like the, those dreams you wake up and you're like, oh, alhamdulillah. I was just dreaming. So that is the heart shakes. That heart shakes. The objective that we want is that when I think about sin, my heart shakes. Why? Because sin is a severance of a connection with Allah. And I love Allah so much. I love Allah so much that I can't have that relationship severed at all. I don't want that relationship cut. So what does he say? It's, it's, it's this, this shaking, this quivering of the heart. May Allah give us that. The prophet used to ask, see, here's another thing, y'all. Sometimes you're like, man, I don't have that. Okay, cool. We're going to learn about how to get it. But there's something we all have to do, which is make dua for that thing itself too. Oh, Allah, give me a heart that, that is filled with your fear and your awe, ya Allah. Amin. Ask Allah for that. Ask Allah, give me that. That will come between baini wa baina ma'asik. A fear that will come between me and sin. Man, we're... All right, let's keep going. You know what it is? We've justified our sins too much. You woke up today and you justified nine-tenths nine of the sins that you did. So they're not sins to you anymore. You're good. You're like, yeah, go on to hope, bro. I'm good. I'm like, not. 
You just justified your sins all day. And that's what shaitan loves the most because you never do toba from a sin that you've justified. You never seek forgiveness because you're like, I'm good. Okay, this is what he says. Let's get back. He says, uh, he says, um, he says, the opposite of fear is the Arabic word jara'atu, which is boldness, daringness. Jara'a is when you're, 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 you're like bold in front of someone. And he says, uh, the opposite also is a sense of like security. No, I'm good. I'm good. Here's the deal. When it comes to your dean, first let me start this way. If I was to ask anyone in this room, be real. You're not in the masjid. You're just like, you know, some guy walks up to you, probably YouTubing you, right? Whatever. He's like, hey, could you use another 50 bucks? Everyone in the room, they'd be like, yeah, of course. I, for sure. I'll take it. I'll take it. No one in the room would be like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Here's the deal. When it comes to our dunya, we want to develop the I'm good mentality, complacent. When it comes to akhirah, yo, you want to yo, you, you fast next week? Yo, I'm down. Let's do it. You want to meet up at Fajr? Let's go. Like, the, the, flip it. Flip it so that you're always striving for more for akhirah, but you're good with the dunya. Like, I'm good. Because you're going to keep striving for one or the other. You're good. So, so develop the mentality that I'm good. So the concept of al-aman, this is interesting because the word aman means secure. I'm good. He goes, you don't really want that because once you get to that point, you, start, you stop grinding, you stop striving. So he says we want that fear. Um, and the greatest fear that we should all have in this room, before I go forward, the greatest fear, what is your greatest fear? Fear. I saw it in a video from one of our brothers in Gaza. The greatest fear is not the loss of family. It is not the loss of, of material, our home, nothing. The greatest fear that you want to ask Allah, make this my greatest fear, is the loss of faith. Your faith is what's there for you when everything crumbles. When everything leaves you, it's what's there for you. It's what will keep you living, keep you thriving, keep you smiling, keep you enjoying the next morsel, whatever the morsel is that you have. It's your connection with Allah. Right now, in your heart, say, Ya Allah, make my greatest fear my fear of losing faith. Make that my greatest fear. And, never, and, and now, if you fear it, guess what? You're never secure. You don't feel, you know people that are counting calories like crazy? And they're good. You're like, bro, you could. They're like, nah, nah, nah. Like, my macros, my micros, this, that. I'm not looking at you, bro. I'm not looking at you for real. <laughs> I'm just saying, you right in front of me, Habibi. The point, the point I'm making is like, the fear is what keeps someone on top of their game in any area of life. The fear is what keeps you on top of your game. So when you ask me, well, why am I slacking in my dean? I'm like, because you think you're secure. You think you're good. But if you start to be with people who are worried about their, their faith growing, then all of a sudden you start to worry about your faith and you start to question, is my faith good or not? Which is a good fear. It's healthy to an extent. We'll talk about that. So what does he say? He says, listen, now I'm going to teach you four things that you need to do in order to begin to have that feeling within yourself. 
Number one, take these serious. Act on them. He says, think about the abundance of sins that you have done prior to this moment right now. I mean, for some of us, just go, just this week, man. Just today. He says, think back on those sins. Think back on them. And really think about it with, with an awareness of Allah watching them. Now, Imam uh, Zarqani, he says this, though. He says, beware of thinking about old sins without the accompanying remorse, lest you create the urge for the sin again. Yeah, I ain't even... Beware of thinking back on the sin without the same feeling of remorse. Or else the thought of the sin will actually reinforce the sin again. And your nafs actually will be like, oh. So he goes, no, if you think back on a sin, you got to think back on it like, astaghfirullah, I can't believe. What if I had died in that state? Ya Allah, I can't believe that was me. Ya Allah. Ya Allah, forgive me. Ya Allah, forgive me. So what is he saying? Remembering our sins that we've done before. And this is where what I said just two minutes ago comes into play. A lot of us in this room, when I said remember your sins, you were sitting there like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I did that. And I'm like, no, because we justified so much. We justified it. We justified the missing fudger all week. It's okay. I heard a hadith. If you miss it, it's, you know, whatever. We justified the looking at ghair mahrams. Oh, it was one long look, you know what I mean? <laughs> we justify, we justify it. And listen, listen, listen. You are losing what makes you human. You are Bani Adam. And what did the Prophet say about Bani Adam? Kullu Bani Adam Every one of us sins. And that sin is what gets you right with God if you allow yourself to be humbled by the sin and not say, oh, I'm good, that was okay. Do you feel what I'm saying? But when you justify the sin, that doorway to closeness of God, which is the humbleness that it was supposed to create with you, I slipped up, y'all, I slipped up. I'm slipping up, y'all, I'm slipping up. No, you're like, no, I'm good. And what? And that's how, like, our children or our younger siblings, you've seen them doing wrong. And instead of humbling themselves, they're like, yeah, so? And you're like, astaghfirullah, that's the worst mentality. And that is the difference. Are you ready? That's the difference between Iblis and Adam. That's the difference between Iblis and Adam right there. One of them saw the sin, admitted it, humbled. And guess what? Humbled and then elevated. The other one sinned and said, what? Big deal. So he lifted himself up. Allah pushed him down. Allah pushed him down. Why can't I cry before God at night? Why can't I? Because you don't feel like you have any sins on you. One of the Sahaba, they said, we used to look at sins like mountains over our heads about to fall. Y'all treat them like mosquitoes you could just swipe away. That's a Sahabi. You just, oh, whatever, just move it. It's a fly. It's not a big deal. What I want you to realize is that sin, that fault, that negligence of yours is a way you can connect to Allah. So he says, 
He says, number one is to remember, reflect upon the so many sins that you have committed in the past. He goes, and then remember all the arguments you got with people. That's also a disobedience with God. All those petty arguments that you had. Often with people that you're supposed to be in the closest, tightest relationship with. He said, remember these. Um, so this is the first thing. I want to share a few things from the lives of Sahaba. Because they are the greatest people. The companions of the Prophet wasallam, are people we aspire to be like. We aspire to be like them. Like we look at Umar and we're like, well, what made him who he was? Umar ibn Khattab. What made him so special? Well, do you know that one day he said some words to the Prophet that he felt were a little bit out of line? And he said, for the next 40 years, I've been paying back that sin, doing everything I can for that sin. What, meaning, meaning, despite his position, he remembers a sin that he did 30 years ago. And someone's like, bro, why are you grinding so hard? He's like, man, and back in 1983, you know what went down. But me and you, if I was like, bro, last week, you're like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I own it. Own it. And use that as the motivation to become the best you. Okay. Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr, who he's known to be a Siddiq, the most truthful. The Sahaba say one day he was walking around and he was grabbing his tongue. And I, I don't think he noticed someone saw him. And he's grabbing his tongue. He's like, He goes, this thing has got me in too much trouble. This thing has got me in too much trouble. He's conscious of his negligence. He's conscious of where he's falling short. But he's using that as motivation to move forward. Khalid bin Walid, I'll just give one last example. We go on to the next thing. Khalid bin Walid, he says, uh, after he converted, he's like, I spent years fighting against the prophet on the battlefield. I'm going to spend just as much time on the battlefield that I spent against Islam for Islam now. I want to make up for every battle that I fought against. Now, you know what's funny? Me and you would have said what when we converted? Oh, oh it's all for And it is, isn't it? It is. It, we all know you convert and somebody converts today. Actually, there's a sister converting today, mashallah. Uh, someone converts. We're like, your sins are forgiven. And we all know that. But, but he, he knows that. But there's just something inside that goes, no, 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 I get it, but no, nah, I got I to gotta make it up. I got to. I have to push further. And that's what makes him Khalid bin Walid. That's what makes him at that level. So he says, so number, number one thing that he wants us to do is he wants us to remember, um, he wants us to remember our sins. I'm going to break this, the, the flow of the book slightly because... What he does next, he gives us all of the things that are going to create fear in our hearts, consciousness of, of God in our hearts, and then he gives us the things that will create hope. But in reality, you got to do them together. So I'm going to add now the number one for creating hope too. And, and here's how you do it. You actually do them together. He says, the very first thing that you have to do to create hope is think about 
qadamin wala shafi'in. Think of all of God's bounty upon you up until this moment. Up until this moment. Like think back to your earliest moments. And I, I guess until you have your own children, you, you're not really cognizant of that stage. But scholars say in the womb, his bounty upon you in the womb, taking care of you, that loving mother, you come out. Breast milk is there. She's there. She's holding you. She desires nothing more than to hold you. All of a sudden, this father has this, this desire to earn and put food on the table. This whole system. And as you grow, he's just protecting you, protecting you, protecting you. Never once did you play any part in that. But Allah's bounty is there. So he says, I want you, and we did this a few moments ago. He says, I want you to look back at your life and look at all of the bounties upon you. Think about all of those things that up to this moment. And the Quran says it most beautifully. If you sit there and just try to count Allah's blessings upon us, we won't be able to do so. Now, why do I say do them together? Because the sins become more egregious when the bounty is more, is more there. You know, your boy who takes care of you, who hooks you up, when, he doesn't, when you don't invite him to lunch or dinner, thanks for the invite, you know, then it hurts more. When it's someone else, it's like whatever. So, so think of the sins, but don't just think of the sins. Combine the sins with the thing that creates the love, and that is remembering Allah's infinite bounty upon you as an individual. You as an individual are blessed. Think about that for a moment. And if you're in here right now and you're thinking, but you don't know my story, I'm going to say it really clear. How dare you? Because I know the story of people struggling way more than me and you right now and still are more grateful than me and you. So let it not be that God must snatch away in order for you to appreciate and become grateful. Let it be that right now you bow your head and you say, Alhamdulillah, thank you Allah for your blessings. From the depth of your heart, the blessing of sight, the blessing of hearing, the blessing of breathing, the blessing of, of afiyah, one of the scholars, they said, I'm just going to focus on one for a moment. Health. You're not sick right now. You know, one of the scholars, they said, there's something called siha and saqam, right? Saqam is to be sick. They said, a siha, to be well, to be healthy, is a crown sitting on the heads of the people who are healthy, but only the people who are sick can see it. I just spent the last three days with a woman who has stage four cancer. You have afia, man. If you have one thing, you have health. How precious is health? One headache stops you in your tracks. One headache, game over. Now think about what Allah has blessed you with. Should we move forward? Should we move forward to the house with heat? Should we move forward to the house with heat? I remember days 
when my mother, single mother striving her best, were in Buffalo, New York. What is one thing you know about, one thing you know about Buffalo, New York? And she'll be mad for, at me for sharing it, but I need us to realize. I remember winters without heat, yo. And now we got apps. We just be like, it's a little chilly. <laughs> it's a little chilly. It's a little, 74 is better than 73. And I, I, I don't want us to feel guilty at all. I want you to appreciate what you have. And if I can say it, you have la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. I don't know if you realize, but that is your greatest blessing. Because I have family that doesn't have that yet. And I don't care how sick they are, I just wish they had that. That is your greatest blessing. You are a Muslim who knows Allah and knows the Rasul, knows how to worship Allah knows these beautiful teachings to guide your heart through the most difficult moments of life. So he says, if you want to have hope, the first thing you have to do, if you want to have hope, hope is what's going to push you forward. You got to remember how much he's blessed you already. He didn't bless you this much to let you down. He's going to keep blessing you. So he says that the first thing we need to think about in order to create within ourselves Hope is to think about all of the previous blessings that came before. He said, you didn't do anything to deserve that, but it's there. He moves on. He says, uh, the second thing to create, try to create fear in your heart. A lot of us, when we get to the verses of the Quran that talk about punishment, we gloss over them. We gloss over, we read them, but we don't really like. He says, no, 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 no. You got to read those. Those are important for your heart. Your iman is lopsided because you keep glossing over those verses. You need those. Your iman is lopsided because... You're glossing over those verses. He says, remember the severity of God's punishment, which you won't be able to bear if it came down. Think about that for a moment. On the other side, to create hope. Remember, think about the amazing reward that Allah has uh, promised. Excuse me. He says, without you deserving it, but Allah has promised so much reward for the acts that you have uh, done. He says, number three, think about how weak you are in front of that punishment. The smallest headache comes, you're done. Allah's punishment is very serious and again, why do we need to stop and think about that? We need that in order to balance our faith out. Number four, he says, remember Allah's power over you. You can't escape Allah. So let's recap. What did he say to create the fear in our hearts? Remember your prior sins. Remember the severity of God's punishment. Remember how weak you are. 
and remember Allah's power over you. The only thing that makes a tyrant a tyrant is they forgot God has power over them. That's the only thing that makes a tyrant a tyrant. They forgot, number four, that God has power over them. And the only thing that keeps you an abd, a servant, regardless of whatever you control, is you remember Allah has power over you. He says, as for hope. What is hope? Ibtihajul qalb. It's a joy that comes in the heart. When you recognize God's bounty. And this brings us to a beautiful point. When you truly get to know Allah, we would all be smiling a lot more. Yo. Because we recognize his bounty. He says, again, this is a feeling that you can't control, but I can give you things to, you could do to generate that feeling within yourself. Um, he says, it's the opposite of hopelessness and despair. And he says, by the way, hope is fard. Being hopeful is fard. You know, a lot of us learn fard. Fard means like you have to. If I said to you, name something fard, everybody, salah. Name something else, you'd be like, zakat. Nobody, I could ask the whole room. Nobody's going to be like, hope. We've never learned that. We've never learned that before. But he says, to have hope in God is fard. It's a part of your necessary relationship with God. This is something you must have within you. Because there is no way for you to escape the darkness of despair where shaitan wants you to exist except with hope. Listen, I said it last week and I want to repeat this. A lot of us feel unmotivated to move forward. And the reason is we don't feel that there's any hope for us. We were dragged into this halakha by our ace. We're sitting down. But what you have to understand is that Allah loves you. And the sign of his love is that he brings you close. The sign of God's love for you is that he brings you close. That's the, that is his first step. You know, you say, you know, it's like, make your move. Like, Allah already made the move. He already showed you. He already showed you. Because he brought you to these blessed gatherings. Now we just make the next move. And the hadith tells us as we walk towards him, he runs back. So he says that um, there's no way to escape the, 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 um, the darkness of despair. And I, I want to talk about despair for a moment. Um, uh, there's a hadith. Because despair is a place that a lot of us are in right now. A lot of us in this room are in a place of despair. We don't think we can make it. We don't think that we're that special in the sight of God. And so we have to right now realize how much Allah loves us. How much Allah loves us. And I want you to see the effect of despair, and we can see it in one hadith. The Prophet ﷺ, he tells about a man. And you've heard the hadith before, but I want you to appreciate it from a different perspective. He tells about a man who is traveling in the desert with one camel and all of his water and food is on this one camel. And I want you to see it. And he's traveling and traveling and he's okay because he has his water, he has his camel, he has his food. After a little time passes, 
he sees a tree and he sits under the tree to rest the camel and for himself to rest too. And so he lays down next to the tree. And a few moments later, he wakes up and the camel is gone. He looks as far as he can see to the right horizon, as far as he can see in front and to the left. He cannot see this camel anywhere. And he realizes something. There's no hope for me. So he sits down. A lot of us, spiritually, we sat down. Someone's like, yo, you can memorize Quran. You sat down. Someone's like, yo, we should do some dicker. You sat down. Someone's like, yo, we should go to a house. You sat down. The only reason you sit down is there's no point to the next step. The beautiful thing about the prophet and part of becoming prophetic is you become people that give other people hope to move forward in life. That is the most prophetic thing you can be is someone that tells other people that they are beloved in the sight of God. You got to tell yourself first, though. If you don't tell yourself that first, you can't preach that. You have to truly believe that Allah loves me more than anyone else. And no matter how far I've gone away, no matter how far I've gone away, he always wants me back. Yo, there's a narration in the Bible. I'm pulling from my old sources. <laughs> I'm pulling from my old sources. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a parable in the Bible, man. I told it before of the prodigal son. Just Google it. Look it up. There's a man... He gathers his three sons, four sons together. It's been a long time. I don't read that stuff. <laughs> three, four, I don't know. He gathers his sons together. And he says, sons, I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know where the daughters were. Forgive me. It's a biblical joint. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he goes, here's your wealth. He gives each one of the sons his wealth. He gives each one their wealth. From his wealth, he gives them each. And he goes, do as you want with it. It's yours. Well, three of the sons, they're loyal. They love him. They stay with him. They invest the money. They whatever. They stay right there with their dad. And they protect the wealth. But one of them is like us. He gets payday, he dips. Nowhere to be seen. Comes back a few years later. Broke as a joke. Nothing to show for the wealth that he was given. And when he comes back home and he walks in the door, the father is sitting at the, sun, at the table. The other three sons are there. And his seat is still there. And as he walks in the door, expecting, not knowing what to expect, the father says to him, stands up to him, hugs him, brings him close and sits him down. The other sons are salty. They're like, we've been here, loyal, da-da-da-da-da, and this is how we get with when we become religious. When we become religious and start practicing, and we see Allah blessing the person who's the sinner. I put air quotes because only Allah knows what's in the hearts. Like, ya Allah, the same way that son, those sons, they look at the father and they're like, but How? The father says to them, he will always be my son. 
I'm here to tell you, Allah is saying, you will always be my beloved servant. I don't care what you've done to push yourself away. The only one stopping you is you. That door is always open. And whoever told you that you don't deserve God's mercy, they don't deserve God's mercy. Whoever told you you don't deserve God's mercy, they don't deserve God's mercy. And I say that boldly because of a hadith. So he says, uh, give hope to people. He says, it's fard, you have to have hope. I was telling you about the man who was traveling and he sat down. When he sat down, he stopped moving because he didn't see a point. He lays back down. He says, I'm done. I'm dead. He opens his eyes. His camel had strayed back in front of him. And he jumps up with joy. He jumps up with joy and he screams in words of, 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 of happiness. And the hadith actually says, he goes, Allahumma anta abdi wa ana rabbuk. He says, mistakenly, he's so happy. He goes, Ya Allah, you're my servant, I'm your slave. Oh my God, what did I say? Aqta'a min farah, the Prophet said. He made a mistake out of extreme joy. Then the Prophet said, you know what I just taught you? Allah is more happy with you turning back to him than this man was happy when his life was given back to him. I just need you to realize how beloved you are in the sight of God. Because I, I, what will get you up in the morning for Fajr tomorrow is knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves it and loves you. And every day is a new day. A new day to prove to Allah you love him more than everything. Just a little bit more. So he says, what will give you this hope? And I started to mention some of them. He says, number one, remember God's previous bounty upon you. His bounty upon you. Just think about your life. I can think about my life, the number of times where I shouldn't be here today. But Allah's bounty. Allah's bounty. That's all it was. Then he says, number two. I mentioned this already, but it's okay. He says, number two is remember the great reward he has promised you. Without you deserving it. Without you deserving it. It's, it's, not, it's not because you deserve it. It's because he's kareem. Number three is very similar to number one. Number three is ذِكْرُ كَثْرَةِ نِعْمَةِ اللَّهِ Think of all God's blessing. The first was his bounty upon you. The third one is think of God's blessings upon you. All types of blessings he's given you without you deserving them. And number four, he says, think about the vastness of God's mercy. Think about how vast God's mercy is. There's a hadith that we should end with probably where the Prophet wasallam he said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had 100 portions of mercy. He split his mercy into 100 portions. It's hadith. And one portion he gave for the entire dunya, this entire world. And every mother that loves a child, every son that loves their mother, every 
person shares in this world, from Adam to the last man, shares in that one part of God's mercy. The other 99 are saved for the day of judgment. Ninety-nine. Drop the scarcity mindset. Allah's fadl doesn't run out. There was a man, you know, the Bedouins? The Bedouins used to come into the masjid. And the Bedouins were, uh, all right, there's a lot of people here. Uh, the Bedouins were, uh, what's up? give me a good word. Huh? Not rowdy, but, you know, a little uh, uncultured. You know what I mean? They were a little uncultured. And so the Bedouins, they didn't know the etiquettes of like, oh, don't do this, do this, don't do this. So they just were natural people. They were from the desert. And they used to ask, you know, straight up questions. And uh, one of them was in the masjid, and he's making dua. You know this hadith. He goes, Ya Allah, have mercy upon me and Muhammad and nobody else. <laughs> like, you talk about unmasked? I don't know who hurt my man's feelings. But if you ever felt, that's your man right there. Subhanallah. So the Prophet ﷺ heard this. And he said, You took something vast and made it so, so small. Wallah, this is what our ummah does today. We make God's mercy so, so tight that people don't even feel there's no room for me in the masjid. What do you mean there's no room for you in the masjid? We need to, we need to make it open for That's why every time Ustad starts, he says, welcome home. Because we're all lost prodigal sons and daughters. <laughs> Tried to slide it in better, but... No, we're all searching for home. We all have squandered our wealth, trying to find our way back to Allah's mercy, wondering if there's a door open. And that's why every time we start, we say, welcome home. Welcome home. So he says, remember the vastness of God's mercy. Remember his name, Rahman, Rahim, Kareem, Rauf, most generous most loving, most forgiving. So he says, and we'll end with this. If you are perpetually doing these eight things, four on each side, if you are perpetually doing them, you will begin to feel in your heart the fear that you need and the hope that you need. Now Imam Ghazali gives us more and time is short. So next week we will continue um, you know, me and you think, oh, he said khawf, he said raja, it's done. No, no, no. He wants us to truly understand and actually pragmatically give us steps to implementing this in our lives. Um, and so uh, we're going to end.